0: is that um, uh, I think it's really, really important about about family, what it means to be family. Uh, there's nothing that tests the dynamic of a family quite like a board game. <laughs> uh, the other thing would be a long car drive, And I'm going to talk about board games. Who's a board game family? Did anyone grow up board game family? Okay. Well, I was preparing a sermon about family and I was thinking about an illustration and and I was, uh, this week I was laid up actually in bed for a couple of days, sermon writing, lying down in bed. And the family were, the rest of my family were in our lounge area in the dining around the dining room table, playing a very serious game of the Settlers of Catan. And the game was at a crucial point, and I was I was at a crucial point where I was looking for a sermon illustration about the challenge of family. And and the grace of God just bestowed upon me a moment right there because uh, there was an eruption of an argument from the dining room table. What had happened was the dice had been rolled, two dice, and then the dice had been picked up quickly and someone had seen a 12 and someone else had seen a 6. Now the difference in this moment of the game between a 12 and a 6 was potentially life-changing uh, it was the difference between someone winning and losing and then there was this great debate where someone was saying it was definitely a six no it was definitely a 12 well I'm taking the resource for for a six and there was there was emotion and there was tears and there was threats and there was you know, you know jumping up and down I just had to say Mel you've just got to calm down um uh, But anyway, I didn't even know how they resolved that one. Somehow it wasn't actually Mel doing it with the emotion. She calmed it all down. But it was one of those moments where, you know, you kind of think that the the Middle East, um, those that come and try to negotiate peace in the Middle East, you know, the peace to negotiate. They they probably would have struggled to find negotiation in that moment. And it just reminded me that uh, family is challenging. Family is not always easy. I I mentioned going on a long car trip. There's another thing that can test the dynamics of a family. Family can be frustrating. Family can be stressful. Family can be uh, emotionally taxing. It can be challenging. It It can push us to the limit. And yet, in spite of all that, family is a gift. Family is a blessing. Family is a gift from God. So, this morning I want to talk about family, but I'm not talking about the nuclear family that you either grew up in or that you now are part of. I want to talk about us as family. The scripture reveals something very powerful when it talks about the church it says that we are family we are not just a random group of people who happen to choose to come in and and attend a service at the same time. That is not the Bible's understanding of what's happening here. The scriptural understanding of what's happening here is that we are family, that we are brothers and sisters. So I want to talk about that Uh, this morning. I think it's an incredibly important message because for the last four or five months we've been a family that's been scattered, we haven't been meeting together and even now as we meet together, half of our morning congregation are not meeting together, they're coming at a different time so there's people who, who even now you're not getting to see and the other thing is that I know that habits form over a period of about what is it, 40 days or something to form a new habit. So we've had a lot of time to form a new habit of not going to church. And church is freely available now via your iPad or phone or play on the car on the way or or listen to while you're doing the dishes at home. You can do church without doing church here. It's, It's more accessible now than ever before. That's a blessing, but that's also a challenge. For all those reasons, I think we need to look at what Scripture says about Family. Let's open up to Mark chapter 3, I'm going to start at verse 20, which is sort of the start of this little bit about Jesus and his family. There's a couple of verses, then there's another little story, and then it comes back to it. So I'm just going to do verse 20 to 22, and then I'll go down a bit. Mark chapter 3. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he's out of his mind. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, he's possessed by Bilzebul, by the prince of demons, he's driving out demons. And then we'll go down to verse, uh, <clears throat> verse 30, oh, verse 31. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him and they told him, Your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers? He asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. So we're currently doing a series called Kingdom Questions. And the background of it is we're going through the Gospel of Mark with a desire to understand afresh who is Jesus. And then by understanding who is Jesus, what does that mean for who we are? And then finally, uh, based on those two things, how then should we live? Okay, who is Jesus? What does that mean for who we are? And how then should we live? Message one was around Jesus uh, teaching with authority and then casting out a demon and showing that he had an authority over the, the demonic over evil. In the second message, we saw that Jesus uh, had authority over sickness. He healed a man, and not only that, he said to the man who had been healed, your sins are forgiven. So he shows that he's got authority over sickness, but then he says, your sins are forgiven, which led the Pharisees to go, well, hold on, only God has the right to forgive sins. So they were actually onto it. They were right in saying that. It was a revelation of who Jesus is. Then in the interim between that passage and this passage today, a couple of things has happened. Firstly, um, crowds have started following him. So huge crowds are following him, so much so, and they're, and they're wanting to press in against him to be healed, that he has to get in a boat to be, um, to be able to teach. Um, Also, his uh, disciples are not fasting on the Sabbath as the Pharisees do, and that leads the Pharisees to go like, what's going on here? And he actually says, well, I'm Lord, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Again, this is a picture of who he is. And so because of these huge crowds and, and the words getting out that Jesus is teaching and healing and crowds are gathering around him, his family hears about this, about this, and they just go, what is going on here? Like, this is, our, this is, you know, as they understand it, our son Jesus. It's a bit strange because you would have thought they would have some sense of who he was, particularly his mum, given the events of his birth. But his family go, he's out of his mind. The Pharisees, they go, well, he's, maybe he's possessed and by sort of demonic power, he's casting out demons. And so they both kind of are trying to denounce him or get around him. And his parents come to visit him. They want to take him home. Jesus come home and go back to normal life. So they come to the house. They've probably traveled from uh, Nazareth to Capernaum. They come to the house. It's it's crowded. So they send someone in and someone goes in and says, you know, hey, your your family's outside. And uh, Jesus asks this, this question. It's a very simple question. He says, who are my mother and my brothers? Who are my mother and my brothers? And then he he answers the question. He says, uh, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. So there's the question and there's the answer. So if the band can come up, that'd be great. (laughs) Um, Very simple um, statement, um, but also very profound. There's much in this. Um, In the scripture, we have several images of the church. You can probably think of an image of the church that's given in Scripture. One of the very obvious and well-known ones is a body, right? That the church is a body, um, the body of Christ. And the image of the body is really important because it's about function, okay? It's about function. It's about how every part is valued and important and necessary. And if one part is not present or is not functioning, then the whole is affected, okay? Okay. So I've mentioned my back this week. I had one tiny part of my back, one disc that's bulging and it affects every part of my body. In the same way, this idea of the body, everyone has a part to play and, and it's about function. Another image is movement. The church is a movement. The church is a people who are called and commissioned and sent with a, a purpose and a mission into the world. Okay, so there's body and there's a movement. But the third picture of the church is a family. Um, This idea that we are brothers and sisters, that we are children. And and so this idea of family, even from the start, in terms of human sense, family is God's idea. God creates the first humans, male and female, and he creates them in such a way that they are going to create families. That that's actually a unit that God creates, it's his idea. We see from the start that families are flawed, right? very first family is Adam and Eve Um, their relationships not going so well they just do a minor thing causing the fall of uh, uh, humankind and then that leads and then they have children Cain and Abel their relationship not really a good one okay Cain kills Abel you go through Genesis family after family I mentioned most of them are dysfunctional to the extreme however It's still true that God creates family from the start, that He values family and that He intends to redeem family. So I want to talk this morning about three things that Scripture reveals about family, okay? What it means to be part of family. And the first is this, that we are children of a loving, heavenly Father. Okay? We are children of a loving, heavenly Father. 1 John 3 verse 1 says this, I'm not sure if these are coming up. They are. Awesome. It says this See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. You know, we, there's a passage where the disciples go to Jesus and they say to him, uh, Teach us to pray. Do you know that passage? Teach us to pray. And he starts off the prayer with two words. He says, when you pray, say this. Does anyone know what it is? I think you do. It says, our Father. Now, here's the deal. In in our experience, if you go to church regularly and, and you're used to prayer, saying our Father or Heavenly Father or Dear Father has become so normalized to us, it's sort of part of our lingo, that we don't actually realize how profound that is. So when Jesus told his disciples to start with the words, our Father, that was an incredible statement. Because he could have said, you should pray almighty, all-powerful God. And that would have been true. He could have said, pray Lord of hosts. That was one of the terms of God, which means God of the angel armies. All of these things would be true. But he says, start your prayer by saying this, our Father, Father. What's he saying? He's saying, remember this, that God is a father. He is your heavenly father. And so that speaks not of God's power and his majesty and his might and his holiness, saying our father speaks of intimacy, speaks of love, speaks of relationship, speaks of personal. And it's become normal for us. It's a wonderful thing that as Christians, we actually have this idea that we can have close relationship with Almighty God, right? But that is an incredible, incredible thing. And so Jesus says, no, start your prayer saying this, our Father, that your God, that God is relational, that God loves you, that He is intimate with you that he cares for you that he is he is like the best he's not like a human father he's better than any human father if you've had a bad human father a bad experience of a human father it's not that god is like that father but god is a perfect example of a perfect loving heavenly father jesus said this which of you if your son asks for bread will give him a stone Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? It's interesting. uh, When I first came to the church and I started to meet people, I, I caught up with a couple, and they said that when they came to what was Allgate Baptist many, many years ago, they said they'd come out of a very uh, legalistic and fairly cold church background and they came into Allgate at a time when they were doing a sermon series on the fatherhood of God and they said they sat in the pew or the chair and uh, they heard this the, the pastor preaching this message that God is your father that God is a loving father and they sat there and they said we were absolutely blown away by this God is our Father. God is a loving Father. This was just mind-boggling to them. And I think that even if you've heard that many times, and even if that's not exciting or new or transformational or, or something fresh for you, it should still blow us away. That the Almighty God who created the heavens and the earth and holds it all, all the stars and the planets and everything in place, is a loving Father. He knows you. He made you. He cares for you. And wherever you are this morning in your walk with God, wherever you are in your faith, wherever your understanding, wherever your journey, maybe at the moment you're struggling in faith. Maybe faith has become for you something you believe, not something you really experience in your heart. Maybe it's become for you something you do through serving or attending or something like that rather than a a living, vibrant faith. Maybe for you, you you feel distant from God either because of something you've done or something that's happened or or whatever it is. Wherever you're at, let me remind you that God is your Father. He is a loving, heavenly Father and He knows you intimately. He cares for you. He is with you. He is guiding you. He is teaching you. He wants to see you be the fullness of who he's made you to be. Because he is your loving, heavenly father. See what great love the father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Amen. Second point is this. we are Because we are children, uh, uh, brothers and sisters, with Jesus we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. There's an amazing passage from Romans 8. This is, oh, this is a doozy. <laughs> Verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you receive doesn't make you slaves so that you live in fear. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in His sufferings, in order that we might share in His glory. Now, most of us uh, who are a bit older have probably prepared a will, okay? Uh, You know, have you gone about the process of preparing a will? If you haven't, you probably should. So the will is like, dealing with the reality that one day we're going to die, okay? That's a reality of life. Death and taxes can't be avoided. Taxes seemingly can be um, by some if you're a millionaire. Um, Just read that in the news this week. But death doesn't get avoided by anyone. So we write a will to say where where our inheritance will go. Now, if I die tomorrow and my wife with me perish that thought... Where do you think our inheritance is going to go? To who, who will be the beneficiaries? Our children. And I suspect that's probably the case for you. You may have carved out a little bit for your pastor, but uh, <laughs> you may consider that out of this message. But, um, but I'm going to suspect that the vast majority is, is going to your children. Okay? There may be some other valuable causes. But um, the vast majority will go to your children. That is typical. That's what we expect. It's normal. Children are inherit. Um, and here's the deal. Part of this incredible thing about being children of God is this, is that all the riches of God, all of His promises, all of the future glory, all of, all of the, the majesty, all of the eternal uh, future and promises of God Uh, in the final victory over evil and the new heaven and the new earth and all that's spoken about in Scripture, I could preach a whole sermon on this, but I've got about two minutes, is the truth is this, that we will share in that because we are children of God, which makes us heirs of God the Father and co-heirs with Jesus the Son. In fact, the, the incredible thing is all that Jesus will inherit, all that He will, he will come into as the Son of God and Son of the Father, all of that glory, all of that, that we also will share in that. And this is so good that I can't really quite explain it to you. But it's so wonderful. The future glory of God, the, the, the inheritance, the promises of God, we will inherit that and share in that with Jesus. Wonderful. Third thing is this. Through Christ, we are brothers and sisters with our fellow believers. Through Christ, we are brothers and sisters with our fellow believers. It means that we are family. I've got all my brothers and my sisters with me. <laughs> it's a song, I think. Um, and it means the person next to you is your brother or your sister, not just a person. Doesn't even matter how much you know them, or even if you know them. If they are a fellow believer, they're your brother or your sister. Something very profound I've experienced going overseas. I remember, you know, I've speak about my experiences going to Indonesia and going to Hojieti, and and we, we we worship there in the morning. Every morning there's a morning devotion, and you stand around in a circle, and someone plays guitar, and you sing songs, and the overhead projector's up, so you sing them partly, in, mostly in Indonesian, partly in English. And you're standing there side by side with these people who you've just met from a totally different culture, who speak a language different than you do, and you worship God with them, and you realize that they are your brothers and sisters. They're family. They're not random. They're not different. They're brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a wonderful thing. But even more so, those of us who choose to say this is our church home, this is our Church family, how much richer and more real is that of us? That we have chosen to come together in relationship over the journey as brothers and sisters in Christ in this place. I read some quotes about family, not about church family, just people speaking about their family. And they said this, To us, family means putting your arms around each other and being there. Someone else said, Being a family means you're part of something very wonderful. It means you will love and be loved for the rest of your life. Someone else said, family is not an important thing, it's everything. Another person said this, a happy family is but an earlier heaven. And finally someone said this, families are like fudge, mostly sweet with a few nuts. A happy a family um, family means belonging, and this is true for should be true for a a nuclear family, but also for a church family. Belonging, belonging means there's no pretense, there's no faking, there's no pretending. When you're with your family, you know you just can be yourself. With others, you might have to dress up and you might have to whatever, but when you're with your family, you just you just realise that you can be yourself. And you accept those who are in your family because that you know they're not perfect because you know you're not perfect. And together you just hang out in your imperfection, in your tracky pants and Ugg boots and say, this is us. We're a family. That's what we need to be, a family, belonging, acceptance. Secondly, family is about care. It's about helping each other out when you need help. It's about being there for each other in hard times. It's about care. I know that it's family who you turn to when you when you're in trouble, when you're struggling, when you're down. It's family. Care. We need to be a caring family. Secondly, thirdly, it's about trust. Family is about sticking together and being able to depend on each other, depend on each other. It's about people who go out of their way and actually stick through the good times and the bad because they say, "Well, this is my family. This is my family." And so we stick together. And that level of just knowing that they're going to be there does something. It changes something. Others may come and go, but family are there. And fourth, it's about encouragement. Family are about helping you be your best. Okay, family, uh, particularly the way parents raise children, uh, there's discipline, there's encouragement, there's teaching. It's, yeah, be yourself, but it's also about grow and become who you're meant to be. We see this in so many ways In our church family, though our church family is imperfect. I see deep community here when after Sunday people don't just get in their cars and leave but just want to hang around and stick around and be together. At the moment, because of the 11 o'clock service, we've almost got to kick people out. I see family when I see that people are in need and they're sick and meals come from left, right, and centre and there's casseroles landing in people's doorsteps, on people's doorsteps. I see it when we pray for those in need and people get around and really pray when people are struggling and sick. I see it when people are committed to meeting together in, the, in each other's homes, in life groups, and, and other gatherings in all shapes and sizes. I see it when people serve together. And I see people when people give and share in the financial responsibility of a church. I see that we are more than a crowd, more than an event, we're a family. And I've got to say that when I came into this church, it's one of the profound things that I saw that really spoke to me is the way this group of people did church as family. It's a beautiful thing. We've got to be careful to protect it. And we need to be careful to protect it because church, the idea of church as family is under threat today like never before. It really is. Our culture and our society is changing the way we think about church and the way we think about family in significant ways western culture today views almost everything through two lenses or several lenses one is consumerism the other is individualism and so those things are opposed to experience us experiencing genuine community consumerism states that the value of anything is what i can get out of it how it makes me feel and what value i gain from it consumerism makes life transactional I work to earn so I can spend to enjoy. The key question of anything is, did I enjoy it? How did it make me feel? What did I get out of it? And then based on these things, we decide whether we uh, give ourselves to it. Um, Individualism shapes this idea of church. We stop feeling like we're a family. We just feel like we're coming in so that we can hear a message for ourselves so that we can go out and live our individual lives in our own way. I want to read to you a couple of quotes. I'm running out of time, but first is from uh, Tim Keller, well-known pastor in America, uh, New York, um, from his book, Center Church. He says this, The expressive individualism of modern culture has deeply eroded loyalty to institutions and communities. Individuals are now spiritual consumers who will go to a church only if and as long as its worship and public speaking are immediately riveting and attractive. Therefore, ministers who can create powerful religious experiences and draw large numbers of people on the power of their personal appeal are rewarded with large, growing churches. It's interesting. Is that what's happening here? I hope not. I hope not. Secondly, uh, Quote from Nigel Scotland on a book called Shopping for a Church, Consumerism and the Churches. He says this, Christians do not generally endorse prosperity theology. They have nevertheless taken on board much of its consumer worldview. Thus the starting point of many has become my needs, my self-interest and my satisfaction. Much of contemporary evangelism tells people Jesus will make them happy and fulfilled. People therefore look for a church that meets their needs and they go to worship for what they can get out of it. Indeed, the comment, I didn't get much out of that service, is often passed without even a thought that there might have to be a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving or a concerted effort to worship God with all of one's heart, mind, soul and strength. Thus, for many churchgoers, Christianity has become primarily a lifestyle, an ethos, a culture or a club rather than a faith or relationship with a Lord who demands total commitment on the part of his followers and who wants them to live in community relationship with others. So what are we as a church? Where are we at? Are we a church as a family or are we just going to continually press towards allowing the way of the world to become the way of the church, that we increasingly just say, hey, this is the service that I come to, and I come in, and I do my church, and I get my fill, and then I go out to live my life? Or are we going to say, no, no, we are family, and family is worth contending for? You see, a family, con- you've got to contend for family, right? When I sit at the dining room table, if I don't contend for family, then there's going to be kids on screens, there's going to be uh, TV on. There's, there's going to be all sorts of distractions. But as a, because I say family is important, I say, no, no, we're putting that aside for a time. When it comes to meal time, we're going to sit down, no screens, no TV, we're here to talk. We're here to do family time. And some families continue that family meal idea. They'll do a family meal once a week as a family. as an extended family. They get together and say, this is important. We love being together. We're going to value it. We're going to keep doing this because family's worth fighting for. And really, that's what we are here. This is like the extended family who get together once a week for the family meal, who sit down and say, hey, family is important enough that despite all the busyness of life for about two hours a week, we are going to come together. And then we're going to do that in smaller settings, maybe once a fortnight. And then in between that, we're actually going to care for each other and love each other because even two hours and once a fortnight is not enough to be real family. And when people are in need, we're going to love people and we're going to care for people. And when people have a practical need, we're going to provide a meal and we're going to send a text message and we're going to give them a call and we're going to just love one another as family. Because to be honest, that's what I want. But what do you want? Is that what you want? We've got to want this together. And if we want it together and if we contend for it together we will actually then reap the blessing of being able to look around and say, who are these people around me? Who are they? They are my brothers and my sisters because I'm a child of a loving heavenly father and I am a heir of God and co-heir with Christ and because these people are my family. Amen.